Welcome to AAPI Narrative. I'm Ni. I'm Rachel. And I'm Z. And this is the podcast for the modern day global Asian perspective. Hey everyone, this is Ni. Welcome back to another episode on AAPI Narrative, where we capture the lived experiences of the Asian and Pacific Islander community around the world. Today, we're going to have a conversation with our lovely guest. Our guest today is an awesome musician, financial relationship manager, and author. We're so excited to learn all about him in this episode. Without further ado, I'll have our guest introduce himself. Hey guys, thanks for having me. My name is Quang Nguyen. I'm of Vietnamese heritage. I'm from San Francisco, moved to Austin, I want to say a year and a half ago. I'm someone who's been working in finance industry or ever since I got out of college. And for much of my life, I've been interested in the topic of finance. That's a little bit about myself. Thanks for joining us, Quang. We recognize that you have so much of your work and what you do to focus on finance. This has led us to release your own book. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in finance? Yeah, as I mentioned, I've worked the past couple years in finance right now. And more recently, for the past year and a half, I've been doing commercial loans. So business loans, helping various business owners get the capital they need to grow their business. Before that, I had a short stint doing financial advising, helping other individuals with their own individual planning. Right after college and before financial advising, um, did personal loans in a company based in San Francisco. All of my professional working experience has been in finance in one way or another, studied business and economics in college. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've been interested in finance my whole life. If it's not in school or not through work, I've always tried to learn finance, you know, whether it's through reading a book, through hearing others speak, sometimes just watching YouTube videos. So Mm -hmm. I've always tried to ingrain myself in finance somehow. That's pretty awesome. You've touched pretty much like kind of all sides of finance, whether it's starting from one's own self and their personal finances to now looking at it at a more macro level and seeing how like businesses start off their journeys as well. So that's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Our podcast, you know, focuses a lot on different narratives in the Asian community. I was wondering if you could speak a little to how your Vietnamese identity has shaped your views on finance. Yeah, uh, good question. Both of my parents are immigrants. They both came from Vietnam. My dad, when he was in, I want to say, over here, it would be starting like high school-ish, around that age. Uh, my mom, more so later, they got married and came over here. So, you know, I, I think a big part of how my Vietnamese heritage affects my current views on finances, Vietnam is, you know, not a rich country in any regards. It's a pretty poor country. It has been, and it still is today. I think that's the mindset of a lot of Vietnamese individuals. They come over to that America with that mindset of starting from nothing, starting from scratch and and really trying to build something. So that's, I think that's the mindset that I, I still carry with me. I think that's been passed on from my parents. You touch a lot about our parents coming as an immigrant and that how it inflicted to our financial opinions. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think it even extends beyond, you know, just the Asian community. I think America as a whole, there's a lot of immigrants from everywhere you know, coming here for a fresh start. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think Vietnam, you know, in and of itself, it hasn't always thrived as an economy. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes people want to leave that country. 
it's not the sense that they want to leave their family or their yeah. country behind, but it's more so, you know, we can start here and possibly have our children lead better lives. Yeah, exactly. Has your parents ever taught you anything about like savings or just fr- from their examples of how they lived their life before or now? <laughs> yeah, um, they've always been frugal mm-hmm. um, with their finances in each, every little way possible. You know, whether it's sometimes it's taking leftovers from the restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. reusing boxes and jars from food that they purchased from the grocery. So I, I think it's little things like that. And me being a spoiled American, like, mom, what are you doing reusing that plastic bag? You know, there's, we have tons of bags, but I think it makes you wonder, you know, why are they being frugal, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I totally understand that. Like a jar of like salsa, they they always reuse their salsa jars and my mom will put something different in there. And there's one time I didn't know there's something else. I poured a whole condiment into my chips and I taste it. I'm like, why does it taste so nasty? It doesn't taste like salsa. That's yeah. the bonus. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. I think it even extends beyond just my, my direct household. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, why do they do these things? And it's, it's because they don't have that abundance mm-hmm. where they're from or where they grew up from. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think that's like interesting too, because it's that like immigrant mentality where you do want to make sure you're utilizing all your resources and mm-hmm. not being too flighty, I guess, like with whatever you're using or like your expenses and whatnot. That just made me totally think about the American shift of like sustainability, right? Where you're like reusing, you know, there's this whole stint of like reusing plastic bags or like making sure everything's like biodegradable and all that. In reality, I feel like immigrants have been using that kind of mentality already. It's just not heavily like personified in that sense. Stepping another layer back and looking at not only just like individual cultures in the Asian community, but the Asian culture as a whole, I guess what I've kind of like noticed is that sometimes finance can be a taboo topic to bring up or where there's kind of just like this gray cloud of ambiguity. I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on how you think about conversations in the Asian culture and how conversations about finance kind of go about. There is somewhat of a taboo about talking about your finances. I think that is widespread to some level, but yeah, more so in Asian culture. I think it comes from being humble. It's not too common for Asians to want to brag about their, their finances, especially with a lot of Asian people growing up not having a lot. Um, they want to make others feel inferior. They don't want to put themselves on a pedestal. And I think that's why there is a taboo. You don't want mm-hmm. to put someone down or make someone feel less about themselves because of financial circumstances. But knowing what I know now, I think it is healthy to have financial conversations. And again, this is probably not the best to brag and say, hey, I got 200000 in the bank account. What do you have? I don't think those are the financial conversations to be had. But someone is having success from investing real estate or starting their own business. I think that's something that you do want to share with those people in your circle and the people that you care about. Because if you don't have those conversations with them, if you're not sharing your success, they might not even think about dipping their toes into those things. You know, by sharing your successes, that's how you bring everyone that you care about up, you know, how you make sure that the people within your circles thrive. 
Education is probably the most valuable thing that we can share with one another. By having those conversations, you're helping educate the people you care about in one way or another. And that may lead them to make uh, more informed decisions about their own finances or about their own investments or the risk and business ventures that they want to take. So now, again, I don't think it's ever healthy to have financial conversations where you're bragging about what you have, but more so, hey, this is what's working for me. This is what I've dipped my toe into. I've seen some success. You know, Maybe you should give this a try. Maybe it can help you in reaching your goals. So I think those are the financial conversations that we should be having. Totally agree with everything you said 100%. It's one of those things where, yeah, unless you talk about it, you can't really help one another in your goals or like understand really what the values are and where people want to end up at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. and really building those strong connections. It starts from having those candid conversations. And, you know, Quang, in your line of work, you're constantly meeting different people at all different stages in their financial journey, like you mentioned. One of the topics that I took from what you just said was that understanding everyone's value is important. So I wanted to get some thoughts from you guys, like on your experience, how do you personally define value and what does that mean to you? Yeah, like personal values, right? Anyone in any line of work and in any stage of their life wants to be financially successful. Everyone wants more money. Everyone wants a nice home to live in. Everyone wants to retire comfortably, you know, but at the end of the day, I think how you're able to reach your goals and set up your own personal life and a life for your children and for future generations. But at the end of the day, money is totally distinct from personal values. I think that's what I've learned from speaking with a lot of individuals. You know, you can have a lot of money, but you know, what else are you bringing to the table? What, what else are you giving the world? What are you teaching your children? I think that's all separate, you know, so I think you know, everyone strives to have financial success. But at the end of the day, I think value is totally separate. And I think it's what we need to have to make sure that we're, we're good human beings and we're a thriving community. You want to be financially successful, but you want to teach people to respect other. If you're continuing to make money, you know, you want to do that in a way that's helpful to others. I think it goes back to giving more than you, you take. That's what I think value is. I think it's separate from finances. It's what makes a good human being. The way you described it definitely shows wide vast like value is and like how that changes from person to person and money at the end of the day is kind of a means to an end and whatever that end is is different for every person. So I kind of wanted to pose it to the rest of the group as well. Zini, how do you define value in your daily life, personal life? Z, if you want to go first. Sure. Quang actually made a really great point money is very important. We're always thinking about saving money to like buy a house for like our future family. But at the end of the day, is money the core to what our value is? Back then when I was doing like real estate investment, I actually talked to a lot of people who are investing not because, oh, of course, one of their goal is to earn some money or like get some revenue back. But I think a lot of them are at this point of their life where they're investing because they want to use that money towards more like happiness. For example, one of the investors I worked with, she used to be a real estate agent and she was very successful at the age of 50. She came back out to 
to work as an agent and plus an investor. Her goal is not to make more money. She finds it happy doing what she's doing. So I think like for her is a type of service. Her value is more of happiness. She will like to use her investments to go travel with her family. Like she loves going out with um, around the country with her grandkids. And she loves taking her grandkids to like a Disney cruise every year. And she will sponsor her whole family. Another thing is that she came out to become a real estate agent, but only towards her friends. Like she's not advertising to everyone out there. And she sometimes does it for free. But of course, if her friends want to give her commission, she would take it. But I think it's a type of service that you provide and that service give you happiness. Yeah, I think sometimes aiming to be financially successful can be yeah. an individual goal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what's more important is how can you give to others? Exactly. Day, so, yeah, know, whether it's for your community or for even even for your direct family you know i sometimes people can get caught up in just chasing individual goals but that's that's not the goal at the end of the day it's you know you want to be financially successful but what else can i give the world from being financially successful yeah exactly how about you need I agree with what everyone said. One thing that Rachel said was how money is a vehicle to your specific goals and things like that. And likewise, I think it's easy for a lot of people our age and also like in the work that I do, I also meet a lot of people in different stages of life. We often see similar experiences or concerns at different age or stages in life when you're always constantly chasing a specific number then you're never going to be satisfied. And likewise, when I think about my values, I think about what can I do in the present moment to support the people I care about and support the work that I care about. So in human rights and education, a lot of times we talk about financial journeys, which is very important, right, in the conversation, but also being mindful, being present as well. So that's like something that I value and something that I strive to live every day, being present. What can I do in this time, in this moment and with what I have? And then how do I carry it over where I don't feel like by 50, I need to be a certain way or have a certain amount or something like that. Because if you're always constantly chasing that expectation, you're never going to be satisfied with it. And that's something that I continue to face a lot, that feeling of dissatisfaction. But I think being present, being okay with like the things you're able to do now, whether you're at this stage in finance or whether you're at this stage in your career, that ties a little bit to how I feel about my values. That pretty much sums up how individuals attain their success, you know, in this modern world. It goes to show why some people don't reach success as well when they're, they're caught up so much in what they're trying to achieve individually, trying to hit a million dollars in income, or mm-hmm. things like that. But you look at all the successful people and the companies in the world, and you realize that they've reached that level because they've given more than they took. Mm-hmm. Why is Elon Musk so successful? Because you know, he's brought efficient driving to the world. He's made the world a better place. He's giving back to his community. And why is Walmart so successful? Why have they been existing for decades? Because they've given consumers access to cheaper household goods, cheaper groceries. So 
I think it ultimately ties to be successful. You need to give more than you take at the end of the day. Very true. That's a great point, Quang. That's like, it's always a give and take in society, but then finance is one of those things where it's good to have a great foundation for it, but that's not the only thing that people should be striving for in life. Mm-hmm. And Ni, when you had mentioned that quote, it wasn't a quote really, but it was more so when we were talking about your up and coming book, I was like reading it at like one in the morning and I was like, oh my God, I just want to like rebudget my stuff or just like analyze like how I'm thinking about my finances. The way you wrote your book was inspiring. I think this is a great segue into some of our next topics and hearing more about what you've been working on recently. Just to give our viewers a heads up, you've been working on a book recently. Can you tell us more about it and what you're working on? For anyone who's listening to this, it- probably will be released by the time this is up. It's called Be Your Own Financial Advisor. It's something that I started working on back in June. It was a few months into the shelter in place. It has been a tough time for a lot of individuals. A lot of people were laid off. Some people have been able to find jobs, but I've known a lot of people that are still looking for jobs since the time I wrote it, June to now, which is November, still looking for a job. That's like seven months, maybe less, without work. But I think what this whole pandemic taught us is that we need to have sound financial principles in place to be able to mitigate unexpected things that come our way. I don't think anyone expected this to come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone expected to be laid off. And I don't think anyone would be expected to be laid off this long. That was my whole thing about writing this book. There's financial principles that are so sound. There are foundational financial principles that I think everyone would benefit from. It's not financial principles about getting rich quick or turning your stock portfolio into a million bucks. I mean, it's possible with the principles that I've mentioned, but it's more so these are the the principles that we should implement so that in the future, whenever anything unexpected like the pandemic comes again, can be prepared for that. And essentially putting these practices in place ensures that whatever happens, we'll still be on course and on track towards reaching our financial goals. I'm in a place where I feel like even if I were to lose my job the next day, I feel like I would still be in a comfortable place. And I don't think a lot of individuals can say that. And there's a crazy statistic that says more than 50% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And from my experience doing personal loans, I had great conversations with people, but I had people that were so desperate for a loan just to pay their utility bills, just to pay their rent. Then I worked in financial advising where I was helping individuals understanding their financial circumstances. And it's, it's so fragile. Like if you lost your job and you weren't living with your parents, which a lot of my friends are, and you'd be screwed. Mm-hmm. I think that's the reality for a lot of Americans. When a pandemic comes, it's something that I would put them in financial ruin if they didn't have the right financial principles and foundation in place. So that's why I saw a need to write that book. I think everyone, especially young adults, understood sound financial principles like setting up an emergency account, directing your funds into different financial vehicles. I think you know, if another pandemic were to happen if, or someone lost their job for an extended period of time, it wouldn't be at the end of the world and whatever goal they have in place whether it's saving for a home saving for their their children's college expenses they would still be on track towards reaching those goals there's this thing i talk a lot about it's it's called paying yourself first when you receive compensation when you receive your paycheck what's the first thing that you should be doing are you going to go out 
and buy a, a PS5. That's essentially giving your money away to someone else before you're really prioritizing your own financial well-being. So it's revisiting, you know, how can I set myself up for success? Mm-hmm. and then go have fun with my money. You could still do a lot of fun things, but if you have the right financial foundation, you'll never be stressed in any circumstance. Mm-hmm. That's the main point behind the book, essentially. I think I definitely need to pick up your book. I definitely need some of those sound <laughs> financial principles in my life. If you had to choose two topics, which two topics would you highlight as ones you wish you knew before starting your financial journey? I think it always comes down to starting early. I think that's the first principle I would ever emphasize to anyone. I think a lot of people get stuck in thinking that, no, and not just in finance, but thinking that they need to know everything about anything before they get started. Oh my God, I got to do a bunch of research on stocks, bonds, investments before I start, or otherwise I'm going to lose money. Oftentimes, I think a lot of the learning that you do is in practice. Mm-hmm. Starting early, and there's this quote I like, it's what I try to live by. It's They say you should jump off the cliff and then build a parachute on the way down. And it sounds pretty crazy. <laughs> Take it literally. But what that means is you just need to start. A big part of you know, growing your money is allowing it to start as early as possible. Again, that's not just with finances. I'm, I'm sure you guys starting your podcast, you guys didn't know, know everything about podcasting starting, but you know a lot of it you learn on the way. You don't give yourself that opportunity to learn unless you start. A lot of people get stuck in what they call analysis by paralysis and inhibits them from starting. That's always a principle I try to emphasize to anyone, whether they're starting anything, whether they're starting their own business, investing, take that first initiative, that baby step. Second principle is start small. It's always about building that momentum. Mm-hmm. Like me, I'm super big into fitness. Mm-hmm. And for anyone that's starting out their fitness journey, you're not going to get super buff in one day but you have to start small you have to start get that gym membership start going even if it's just for 30 minutes and then how that extends into investments is you don't need one hundred thousand dollars to start investing i started investing with a hundred dollars each month in college just putting it into a robo advising platform called betterment it doesn't even have to be a hundred dollars a month it could be ten dollars a month it could be five dollars a month but that allows you to learn what works for you that allows you to understand how the market works. And again, it extends into so many things. Start small, build up that momentum and start realizing what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And then it's always about pivoting and building off your successes. Starting early and starting small. In our day and age, it's like something that we often forget. As you were talking, I was just thinking about how the news that we hear, you're only really hearing about a lot of people's successes and how they've already made it big. But to your point, it's really about what we should be focusing on is understanding how people got to that step from A to B and not just the end goal. Paralysis by analysis is something I even still struggle with. Learning about how to pivot, whether it's in your personal finances or going through this pandemic. Life will never turn out the way you expect it to, but it's really just being able to prepare for what you can. As you're talking through your two principles and the statistic that you provided, majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. I guess thinking about like, why do you think people don't have these like sound principles in place already? Some people are put in circumstances that are totally out of their control. There is a population that can't help the situation or circumstances that they've been put into. But a great deal of people have the ability to get themselves out of that predicament. They just don't know how. So ingrained in us to want 
immediate gratification. I think how they get out of that is understanding that things can go wrong. I think you have to be humble to that. When things are going really well, no one expects bad things to come. I think it's always about preparing yourself. They say you should hope for the best, but plan for the worst. I'm a big supporter of living your life every day, being present. I'm not saying, no, you should stay home and not spend your money. You shouldn't buy that PS5. But what do you have to put in place before you can go enjoy your money? You've known that you took that initiative to set aside funds to prepare for the worst. Now you can, without guilt, spend your money and have fun with it. One year later, two years later, you've built up this emergency fund. You have $6,000 in this emergency fund, just for example. Things were going really great in the past two years, and then you lose your job unexpectedly. There's a recession. Well, now you have $6,000 in an emergency fund. You've been laid off, but you have that peace of mind that you can take care of yourself. You can provide yourself. If you have a family, you can provide for your family at least for a few months before you get back on your feet. Now, a lot of people, they're in circumstances where they can't help it. Maybe they're in a, a high-cost area. Their income is going towards living expenses. Now, that's totally out of their control. But I think there is always an element of being able to control your, your financial circumstances. And that's one thing I emphasize in my book. Your financial circumstances at any one point in time is always a reflection of your past financial decisions. This year is a great example of unexpected circumstances that throws at us. That's exactly why I wrote the book. I think in 2019, things were just going really well. I worked with a lot of business owners looking at the finances of their business. Employment was at historic lows. I don't think anyone saw this coming, but the fact is anything could happen at any time. We wanted to ask a quick fun question for you. I know that you've met a lot of different people from all walks of life. If you could meet anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why at this stage in life or in general? That's a good question. Everything crazy that's been happening in our political landscape. Earlier on in the week, I was just re-watching Obama speeches. He had some really big speeches that people probably wouldn't realize how great of a speech it is until maybe two decades down the line, three decades down the line, five decades down the line. Politics is one thing. I never try to judge someone off their, their political values because our values can be so different. But leadership is totally separate from politics was so great about Obama. He was a great leader. Someone I probably want to meet at this time. Speaking well and being able to unify people with your words is such a powerful skill to have. Really enjoy our conversation with you, Quang. But before we do wrap this podcast up, I want to see where our listener can connect with you online and where can we buy your book? <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't, I don't have the biggest online presence. But by the time our listeners are probably listening to this, the book, it will be on Amazon. It's called Be Your Own Financial Advisor. It would be helpful for anyone. I wrote the book, especially for young adults, but it's financial principles that anyone reading it would benefit from. Check it out on Amazon. Again, it's called Be Your Own Financial Advisor by me, Quang Nguyen. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It was really great to share my perspective on things. Thank you for tuning in to AAPI Narrative. We'll be back next Wednesday for a new episode. In the meantime, head over to our IG page at AAPI Narrative to let us know what you think about our episode. Leave us a review and follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss a beat. See ya!